0: Zart and Matthew Klippenstein are back again for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, Clean Technica's weekly podcast about the hottest news and most interesting stories in the clean tech field, focused especially on electric vehicles and solar energy. Check in weekly via cleantechnica.com, SoundCloud, or iTunes to get your electric fix. Well, hey, Matthew, how are you doing? Hi, everyone. Um, I just came back from the, um, uh, the, the e-bike uh, event, electric bicycle event right here in Long Beach, California. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm really excited because these guys still have the uh, enthusiastic and new energy that the EV community had back in 2008, 2000, uh, 2009. And it was really incredible. It was fresh. It was dynamic and um, I, I walked away from w- with a few thoughts, and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts directly, and then we can talk a little bit more about who was there and what they were doing. But two things really struck me. I saw older folks, you know, gray hair, well in their 70s, having a ball, Tess riding these bicycle around, and they had no problems getting on, using them. Um, so that was really interesting. And I thought, wow, that's a segment that's been totally forgotten, especially the people who... Need to uh, you know uh, start working out, or or even people who get out of uh, of surgery and just need to get on a bicycle. So electric bicycles are great for that, and it was great for these uh, for you know the senior citizen kind of uh, kind of demographics. Also, it, it, it dawned on me that this is an industry where there's not a lot of limelight, there's not a lot of coverage on them, and these guys are making so much progress. They're developing bicycles. Uh, so much faster than the uh, car industry is doing right now. And it makes sense because, again, they don't have a lot of journalists on top of them. They don't have a lot of coverage. And they don't have a lot of investors, you know, bending their fists on the table, demanding for more and more and more and more. So I walked away really energized and refreshed seeing this. And uh,
1: it's it's really exciting. I don't know if you want me to talk about specific bikes. <laughs> Sure. I guess my biggest interest, and this comes from living in Vancouver, which is gloriously sunny for maybe three to four months of the year, and (laughs) rainy, cloudy. Uh, Occasionally, we might be lucky enough to get snow for the balance of the year. And uh, there are some companies over here which are trying to develop Velocycles, I think they're called. It's basically a battery assist bicycle, but one which has a cover on it so you don't get wet. And these guys are are very convinced they're they're adamant that as lo- if, if you can prevent people from getting wet then uh, and you have a low power motor so you can stay within i think neighborhood electric vehicle kind of range maybe 25 kilometers per hour you can get a lot more people in and i can i can quite understand that that makes a lot of sense to me were there many um of these uh, kinds of covered bicycle uh, options or or prototypes being shown at the show
0: No, and that's a very good point. No, they weren't because, well, for one thing, we're in Southern California. And so they didn't expect that. What they also didn't expect is that it rained on Sunday. So um, you're right, a lot of bicycles like that are happening, especially where you live. And also, um, you know, uh, companies like Lick Motor and all these companies uh, are doing self-enclosed, self-encased, and self-balancing uh, uh, sort of, you know, electric motorcycles, electric bicycles that, that work like that. But I did find one bike that you might like. Uh, and actually, um, Emotion is, is the company, and they are up in, um, in Canada. And Joe Marcoux was, uh, was in charge of this, and he told me he gets to ride his bike in the snow all the time. And so I said, wow, which bike? So he had this, the, I don't know if you're aware of his, the, the, these bikes that have the big fat tires. He takes um, a bike like that. He deflates it a little bit to about you know 20, 20 PSI, and he can ride in the snow with it. So after that, I jumped on one of them, and, and Matthew, I had a ball. This bike had not only an electric motor behind in the rear wheel, but it had an electric motor in the front wheel. It had so much get up and go, and of course it was very linear, so, so I could, unfortunately there was no ice, I could test it on the ice, but there was plenty of water I could test it on it. I could only imagine how this would be a lot of fun in the snow, on the ice uh, especially if you hit a patch of ice uh it was just it was fun it had so much torque had so much get up and go and it was very very smooth very linear in its delivery um so i can definitely see riding that bike uh to work and then of course you know change your clothes and and uh, and you know put on your suit and, and all that kind of stuff so that's probably the closest one that i saw there were also other bikes that had um enough, uh, uh, you know, like for kids to put kids in the front or kids in the back. So I guess theoretically you could do that, Um, but it wouldn't be far far stretched to put a cover over all of that stuff sort of, you know, uh, aerodynamic cover over that so no i didn't see that specifically here although they did not uh, they did not think that it was going to be raining like
1: that <laughs> yeah i guess i guess southern california rain uh, maybe <laughs> this year or so i hear uh, isn't really the, the main of your concerns i wonder if uh, if then um instead of having a uh, uh sort of a cockpit or a fuselage or whatever that thing is called um in Vancouver, it would be transparent, clear, you know, colorless. I wonder if uh, perhaps there might be a, an angle to do like a smoked or a slightly, you know, sunglass effect, uh, kind of a color for a cockpit, because again, as you're saying, you probably wouldn't need it for rain, but um, it might, you know, ease eye strain or something. It'd be kind of silly to wear sunglasses inside the cockpit if you're, um, if you're, you are if you are Yes, if you have the option of just smoking the uh the um, the the windshield, I suppose it would be called uh, yes. one, one challenge I think that i 've uh, um, run into for these velo cycles is that uh, the power of mass production is just so well almost omnipotent in that. You can buy a Nissan Versa here, uh, sorry, Nissan uh, Micra. They don't, they don't sell them in the States. It's too small of a car. You can buy one here for like $9,995, something crazy. Real-time. Wow. And that's because Nissan makes a gajillion cars, right? And yes. the challenge for any startup with a a battery-assist bicycle, which has a little bit extra cost in it in that cover Might be that at low volumes they might be on the three five thousand dollar scale, at which point you might have a challenge getting the consumers to go from buying uh, you know this uh, uh, pedal assist bicycle this velocycle versus buying a full car, despite the fact that the car you pay for gas you pay for insurance and so forth. Uh, One way that might be uh, might be an angle around that which. uh, local company um, Velo Metro is trying to uh, trying to use is the pay-per-use model whereby you pay you know uh, I'm not sure what it is but a certain amount per minute that you use the, the vehicle and then basically people will be more happy to pay the equivalent of a dollar to go from here to there as opposed to five thousand dollars all the way up front and so I'm very hopeful that that works I'm I'm uh, I'm worried from past experience about getting too excited about stuff that yeah we have to fix that that initial cost barrier temperature we have to be a lot more uh competitive from day one versus vehicles versus cars in order to really get a re-adoption of the bicycle or, or even more adoption of, of the bicycle
0: well, and, and actually, the, those are very good points that were raised many times by almost all manufacturers, and they do, of course. You know, I, I, I did write the, write the top of the line bulls, and they are at five six thousand dollars, and they're really well worth that price. They're amazing, but then I was um, I was noticing that a lot of them were talking about their customers who have bought the bikes. And only put maybe $100 worth of maintenance a year on the bike. Just tuning the Shimano derailleur systems. That's all you need to do. So they were saying, hey, you can also get a car for or a bicycle for half the price. You're in shape. And all you have to do is the tuning is about you know, $80, $70 a year, and that's it. End of discussion. Oh, yeah, okay, so you have to pump air in the tires. So that was their, their, how they were approaching it. Now, of course, $5,000 is not for everybody, right? So then I saw another um, uh, maker, and you, you probably might have heard of these guys. It's called Ghost Cycle. Mm. And uh, Richard Thorpe actually was a designer with McLaren and he thought, you know what, what if I could design the ultimate bicycle, the ultimate electric bicycle. Now this, this little bicycle really blew me out. It has a magnesium core so he, he basically molded a magnesium core everything is inside the bike position nothing that sticks out everything folds completely and I, I shot a video so I'll, I'll show you later and the, the 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 bicycle wheels are made out of magnesium they are so light you could juggle with them they're that easy so the the, the of course you know the the first bikes that he did um, eight years ago were about five thousand dollars what the new ones he's coming out with now I, I believe it's the G3, and and please don't quote me on that just yet. Uh, The new one will be at $2,200. So now we're really coming down into the almost entry-level electric bicycles, and that bike is uh, it it can accommodate anyone from five foot five to even seven seven foot because he really designed it so well. So I I think they they really understand that. They understand that. Mass manufacturing is uh, important. And in the case of whether you're talking about Bulls or you're talking about ghost cycles or even pedico they are mass manufacturing. And they do understand that the bikes were too expensive up until now. So the prices are not only coming down, but they're saying, hey, there's no maintenance here. I mean, $80 a year for a tune-up, so what? And then on top of that, well, you get behind a bicycle and you're healthy. So so that's the that's how they were approaching it. And I have to tell you, It made plenty of sense. Now, of course, when you, you know, you're up in Canada, you might not be doing this all year long, but at least you're doing this maybe, you know, three months out of the year. That's not a bad thing.
1: Well, we do actually have a surprising number of all weather, all winter cyclists in all but the the worst (laughs) weather. Uh, One of the the wonderful things about snow is that if you get cold enough, it's, it's kind of powdery. It's not slippery. And yes. so uh, you know, there's a lot of people have have uh, horror stories of slipping on, say, black ice, and that's basically snow melts and then refreezes. But if you if you're in an area which is you know far enough below zero, then the snow just compacts, and so it is actually you, you can you can stop on a dime, but you can stop pretty close to on, you know, reasonably close to on a, a dry street on a summer's day, on snow. Whereas with ice, oh my goodness, um, you know, there's there's a you yes. or where I live uh, in Vancouver, especially has kind of a horrendous uh, insurance rates. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, avoiding the cost of insurance is one of the uh, the main big advantages for bicycles, but also for ride hailing uh, like Uber, which uh, has uh, has had a lot of. I guess it's the metonym. It's the uh, it's the uh, it's like the, it's the Xerox with the Kleenex for for ride hailing, and uh, <laughs> Uber has been in the news recently for a number of reasons, all of them bad, and uh, it's kind of horrifying what uh, what has uh, come out uh, through the recent uh, couple months in various stories. Um, the I guess uh, for me the most uh, the most disturbing one was this. Uh, um, uh, allegation of uh, pervasive uh, sexual harassment in the, in the workplace—that's that's like the the ultimate sin, kind of in my secular progressive uh, um, viewpoint. Um, uh, but uh, I was thinking that the most damaging to Uber uh, might be this uh, lawsuit that Google had recently uh, issued, uh, arguing that Lu- uh, that Uber uh, bought. Auto, O-T-T-O, a little uh, self-driving car startup founded primarily by Google engineers, and that auto itself had stolen, uh, you know, invaluable, you know, un- impossible to price uh, LiDAR and other autonomous vehicle knowledge from Google's Waymo division. And Ouch. And yeah, so um, the way I see it is that Uber Uber has had an advantage every time it has litigated so far, because if you're litigating against a city or a state, Uber has a lot more cash on hand than the city does. You know, cities take, or states even, they take in revenue, but they're struggling to balance their budgets all the time. And A few million dollars to the political opponents, and maybe you get your person in power, and they can make everything nice for you. So... I think that up until now, wherever you've been in the world, Uber has generally had the advantage on the litigation side. But Google, Google is kind of like uh, the—it's like the um, irresistible force. It's 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 the Mm -hmm. bully in this in this um, uh, confrontation, because like Uber is maybe valued at perhaps sixty or seventy billion, but Google has like, last I checked, eighty-six billion dollars in cash. In so, cash, exactly. In cash, in cash alone. And uh, if Larry Page or Sergey Brin want to go on the warpath, and I could imagine they would, since this was kind of one of Google's prized possessions, even if Uber can prove that it's innocent, which one wonders if it truly is, but uh, even if Uber could uh, prove that it's innocent, Google Google can force it to spend ungodly sums of money in court for you know every permutation of uh, of a lawsuit or a filing that's, that's conceivable. So, uh, I would think that, I mean, a lot of companies get away with a lot of shady stuff. Uh, there's, you know, standard oil rock with Rockefeller. Those guys did some crazy stuff back in the day and they became the, the biggest company in the world. Um, still do. But, and they still, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Paging the Koch brothers. Um, and, and, uh, it's just that in this case, I would wonder if this is the thing that really pops Uber's bubble or really delivers it uh, uh, a huge setback. Because even the delete Uber campaign, uh, all these videos of their uh, CEO um, making inappropriate comments, uh, the sexual harassment thing—those are things you can—they've they've kind of dealt with before in a much lesser in a much lesser scale but uh having an opponent with relatively unlimited money coming after you for something that in this case google clearly saw as one of its prize jewels it is hard for me to see that uber escapes unscathed again even if they win they're going to spend so much money um yeah. that uh, that it will it will naturally give their competitors whether it's you now, uh, whether it's a DD or uh, or Lyft or others, uh, a big step up.
0: You know, there's two two things that Uber is up against right now, and and mm-hmm.
1: so the one thing that I notice is that there's
0: not enough competition. Uber and Lyft is not enough of a competition. Uber is extremely arrogant, they're the first ones, they're the best known in everything. Uh, but you're right, Google has deep pockets, super deep pockets. Another thing too is Uber has, it's starting to have a bad reputation now, let's let's put it this way. I mean, I use Lyft because I don't use Uber for two reasons. First of all, it's cheaper, they pay their, their people better. Um, and I just don't like the big, the big guys most of the time. But I think also in this day and age of social media, instant news, Uber stands to have to, to really weather a lot more damages than it would have, say, 10, 20 years ago. And um, I, I don't know if they fully understand that. One thing is for sure, they're very arrogant, and that usually is not a recipe for success these days.
1: Yeah, I guess um, maybe one one sort of thought experiment uh, that occurred to me when I was preparing some uh, notes on this uh, for this episode is that... Um, when we when we think about there's a sort of a romanticized heroic vision of disruption, you know, we're going to take this old, um, calcified, stubborn, non-innovative industry, we're going to disrupt it and do something new. Um, you know, that's a terrific thing. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, there could be a danger, though, if you kind of get um, sort of self-righteous or arrogant about it, where... If you're disrupting the taxi service, which, let's face it, has been corrupt for many years, the medallion system whereby it's, it's basically a monopoly abuse, basically, in many cases, um, definitely something that deserves disruption, in a sense, perhaps deserves to be disrespected for, for the failures and the corruption that uh, has been involved in it. If you take that attitude anywhere else, then you start to get into more questionable uh, situation. So you might, uh, if you take this kind of aggressive, you know, we're going to change the world attitude, then at some point you're going to step on enough toes, enough social norms that you're going to get a backlash. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit worried on behalf of Elon Musk with his, uh, with his tunneling plans in that it doesn't look like he's prepared the appropriate filings uh, for, for digging a tunnel. And while yes. he's on his own property, absolutely, you know, go nuts, it's your property, you know, just uh, do anything you want. Um, the worry is perhaps that if you are so focused on the disruption and the, the, yes. the, the heroic end, you know, it's like making the world a better place end, and you don't uh, accommodate the, the means to that end, the, the need to get buy-in from a large enough majority of people, then you kind of, it, can, it can kind of blow up in your face. And so, um, yes. so even though I'm all in favor of disruption, uh, again, going back to Lyft, it seems to be a kind of a nice touchy-feely a- equivalent, a little bit nicer, a little bit more caring and empathetic. I wonder if that might be a, a more uh, sustainable approach. Because you never know, you know, who it's going to turn out to be, who winds up being that opponent who has the unlimited money, uh, and, yes. and that is, I imagine, something which Uber
0: is facing right now. And you know, I think that's a very good point you're making because, okay. So in my other normal life, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fully trained, uh, you know, professional, certified uh, business coach. And the one thing that I notice is that the business model isn't there. They're still using an old business model into this quote-unquote disruptive new technology and service world. But as long as you bring in that old business model of making money the way they are doing it by squashing the uh, competition and everything, well, guess what? It doesn't work. We can see it everywhere at every level. And I think as long as these people approach any of these new technologies, any of these new systems like that, they're bound to fail at some point or another, because there will be a backlash and there is a backlash. So, uh, you know, I, again, I and mean, it goes back to competition. I think when we will see more competition in this industry and especially the ones who are coming out with a truly, you know, paradigm shift kind of thing, but truly, Hey, this is a service for you guys. It's a decentralized service. All the things that, you know, you and I as a user, as a consumer need and want, then these guys will have a much better chance of surviving. But in the meantime, you know, Uber, Lyft, all these people, because we're talking about that specifically, they're still operating on an outdated business model that no longer serves us or serves them in the long run. So, yeah, that's something that's going to have to
1: change. Yeah. And again, I just want to emphasize that, uh, you know, disruption is very good socially. If we didn't have disruption, we'd probably still have, don't know, like – what are those scientific priests from the, uh, <laughs> age, something <of> that sort. <laughs> disruption is very important, very positive. Uh, the, the key or, or one of the pitfalls of being too focused on disruption could be that you wind up maybe disrupting or offending, uh, too many people and you have to make sure that maybe it's kind of a baby steps thing, right? You can't eat a, uh, where, where, there's there's some uh, restaurant in the states which has a ninety six ounce steak you can 't eat that thing all in one bite right to, to the end of that ninety six ounce steak um, you have to eat it one bite at a time and similarly uh, as as infuriating as it could be, um, it is necessary to um, to to go step by step and to make sure that you keep the the vast majority of people on side, even as we try to disrupt the fossil fuel sector, uh, I think, and I think that we've done a really good job of this over the past few years as a clean tech community is emphasizing that, look, yes, these other jobs are going away, but look how many more new jobs there are. uh, Good paying jobs, you know, for high school graduates on the solar, on the, on the wind side, especially. And, uh, uh, basically making sure that our disruption, uh, even as we, uh, advocate for it, even as we enthuse for it, keeps, uh, keeps the, the, the overall balance on side, so that we don't wind up stepping on landmine and then, uh, and then winding up with this blowback, which basically, um, well, I mean, the Koch brothers are already funding the blowback, but uh, we basically don't need any more distractions than, um, than we're already facing, and we don't want to shoot ourselves in the foot, basically.
0: Yeah, it's true. And and I think a lot of times we forget that, you know, you and I have the power, not these people, because I have a credit card and I have cash and I can choose to spend it the way I want to. And ultimately, I'm going to choose whatever makes most sense for me, whatever is local as much as possible. And and I think that's something that's something they just totally need to understand. And then until they don't, well, we'll see a lot of companies like that. I, I can't wait to see, you know, who else is coming up right now with a car writing uh technology that that would make the most sense but i have a pretty good idea well you know we should
1: open up a, a, a pool bed or something like that <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting yeah uh all right well um on the topic of betting with money i should uh, probably head back to work at the moment um so uh so uh, thank you again for joining us uh you know i come back uh, next time for your electric fix I'll be on vacation briefly, but we've got a little bit of a, of a back catalog to run through. And uh, I'll uh, circle back. Uh, Nicholas and I will circle back and uh, be back with you as soon as we can. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful week and talk to you later.